One of the most important things you can do for a Bible study is outlining what you're about to dive into. You got to know the path that the author is taking. And I realize it's hard. It is really hard. Uh, my Romans outline, it will be constantly under edit until we get out of Romans. It's, it's a difficult process. But if you can outline sections and then go back and figure out what he's talking about, you're really going to help yourself when you run aground on a difficult section of Scripture because you go, wait, this, this makes sense because he's just not going to go running out left field and bring up an entirely different subject and start talking about something crazy when he's been having this continual flow of thought. Okay, So we've come to a section that's probably top, two or three most argued sections in the book of Romans, okay? And so we're still on homartiology and the doctrine of sin. And so when you take up the issue of sin and what role Adam played in regard to my sin and your personal sin, this is easily the number one most argued portion in Scripture, okay? So you got to figure out what's Paul doing here in 512 to 521, all right? So you help me build the outline here, and we will figure out where we're going uh, when we get here. I'm not going to do this immediately, but I think we'll figure it out at the end. But when you look at 118, which starts with this comment, and this is where we've been on Sunday morning. We finished up this first section here on Sunday morning. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in righteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God has made it evident to them. Verse 21, for even though they knew God, they would not honor him or give him thanks. So if we were going to put a, some sort of title over, and it goes all the way to 32 where I finished up Sunday morning, what would you call this? I'm not looking for big theological terms. What would you call that section? Culpability. Culpability. What would you say? The wrath of God. The wrath of God. Who's the particular group of people that the wrath of God is coming against that they're morally culpable? If we were going to kind of part this group out and call them one group, what would you call this group? i got all kinds of answers. What? Idolaters. The idolaters. The unrighteous. All these are right. Okay. But this is a one group of people, uh, whatever you call them, and they are facing the wrath of God. They are idolaters. Did I spell that right? No. I think it's O-R. O-R. Yeah, idolaters. We call them the unrighteous. And they are facing the wrath of God. Okay? So when you get to this next section, this section that we're about to jump into, and it goes from all the way from 2.1 down to 2.29, let me just read a couple of verses and you can see what this group is about. Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another you condemn yourselves, for you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things that we just talked about, 118. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Flip over to 2.17. He defines them a little more narrowly. But if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know His will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having the law, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You, therefore, who teach another, do you teach yourself? You who preach that one should not steal, do you steal? What's this group? Because they're covered all the way from here to here. So what's this group of people? That's a good word for it. The religious, self-righteous, And what are they under? The wrath of God. And by the way, if you think it was difficult for you rolling through here, it's going to get worse. It's like Rob said. Because if there's a group that we fall into practically, we've got to be really careful because more than likely, this is the group that we're really going to challenge us. 
because it's easy to look at, for instance, 118 brought up the issue of homosexuality. It's, it's easy to look at that and judge that from a distance. But he's going to come right back around and say, oh, the one who judges the men's hearts, have you examined your own heart? And he brings up the issue of adultery, you know. So he's going to carry us into the realm of you think you're justified? Well, let's look at your heart, okay? So this is this group. So when you come down to 310, now turn over there. 310, he starts this business. There is none righteous. There's not even one. There's no one who understands. All have turned aside. Together they become useless. And on and on and on and on he goes. All the way to 320. So what would you entitle this section? Anybody else. <laughs> That's not inclusive enough, you knucklehead. Everybody else. This is everybody, okay? Everybody. That's the conclusion of the totally immoral, unrighteous atheist, if you will, versus the religious who recognizes God, who moral and all this business. We come down to the conclusion of it. You shouldn't feel more highly of yourself than you ought to because you're in the same boat as these people. That's going to be the conclusion. Okay, We're all in the same boat. We're all up under the wrath. Of God in and of ourselves. Okay? So 323, he makes this statement that we've yet to hear, really. And so he says, let me start in 21, but now, it's always good when you see a but, almost always good. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, there's absolutely no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So we, we run into this first statement of justification in 323 through 325, and we are justified by what? Okay, now let me ask you this question. Everybody see that? Need you to see that? Everybody nod their head. Justified by grace. Somebody, Travis, what's grace? Thank you, sir. Now, do you see how that is a great conclusion to all this business up there? Yeah, because if you're not justified by undeserved, unmerited favor of God, you're not going to be justified. And when we talk about the word justified... I don't think there's a better example than the courtroom scene where you're declared not guilty. That's this word. Stand before the judge, and he goes, no, you're not guilty, free to go. So we're justified by grace, and it has to be this way. Because this group, this group, together, they make up this group. They're all under the wrath of God, so we have to be justified by grace and grace alone. Because, again, like I said Sunday, you don't bring a thing to the table. Not one thing but your sin. That's all you have to offer God. Okay? But now, notice what he says in 328. Because he's going to say the same thing. He's going to say it a little bit differently. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So what's this, what's this 328? We're justified by what? Faith. faith. Now, I want you to see something here. Now look at 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by what? Faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. What does he talk about without looking at your Bible? What's he going to talk about from 328 to 51? What it means to be justified by faith. That's it. See, if you figure out the flow of what his arguments are, you'll understand what he's saying. So all the way from here to here... He's going to lay out his argument that we're justified by faith. So he drops justified by grace, and he works upward. He talks about justified by faith, and he's going to work downward until he reaches his grand conclusion. Okay? Now let me show you the grand conclusion of this whole section to tie it all up together. Look at 521. 
Well, let me 520. Let me read 520 and 21. The law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now he's back to the word what? Grace. He said it twice. So if you want to draw this section all the way down here, you can still say by grace, but you understand He's talking all the way from 3.23 to the end of 5.21 and he sandwiched it with grace because you're justified by grace. He explains faith right here. So our question is, and I don't want to confuse you here, what in the world is 5.12 and 5.21 going to be about? Okay. Now, let me give you another hint because that's what we're looking at. Looking at. So we've got this section. I mean, we've got these passages that we started out with. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace. Right? So we're going to go forward. Through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation or a payment in His blood through faith. Okay? Let me read it again. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yep, I've been saying that since 118. All right? But we're justified, made innocent, as a gift. Oh, and by the way, gift is not the offer. I was saying this word in the text some. It is that which is given. It is given. It's not offered. It is given. You understand? It's not the offer of a gift. The gift has been given. All right? So, but it's given by His grace, which we said covered all of this section. There's your grace, right? Through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a payment in His blood through faith. And we said in the middle here, He defined faith. On the outside of all this, it was grace. And so 5, 1 through 11, we're dealing... right. Tonight we're going to deal with this section, but 5.1 through 5.11 deals with this. Okay? Let me read it real quick. Therefore, having been justified by faith in Romans 5.1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice or we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Not only this, but we also... He takes a little bit of a digression here. Not only this, but it's the Apostle Paul, so he's going to talk about tribulations. Not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces or brings about perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope will not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. And here he goes. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone might dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died, much more than having been justified by his blood in relationship to his death. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom now we have received the reconciliation. So right here, he takes up the issue of blood, death. In other words, Paul is like the master of what I call transitional statements. If you pay attention to what you read, he'll give you what he's about to talk about, the flow. And so he's talked about, obviously the conclusion is grace, He's talked about this issue of faith that we're not going to get into in between here and here because he takes up Abraham, the father of our faith. He gets down to here and he picks back up the blood. And then he gets down here. And that's what we got to figure out tonight. We got to figure out 512 through 520. What is he talking about? Okay. All right. Any questions about that? All that makes sense? Good sense? Okay. 
All right, so let's look at this. I gave you some homework to deal with prepositional phrases, okay? And the first word that we came to was this issue of by or through. It's the word dia. Here's your word. Let's see. There's your Greek word. And it gives the idea of channel. That's why we translate it through, okay? The channel by which something came about. So let's look at 512, and we'll just take it a verse at a time. Therefore, just as through one man centered into the world, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. All right, so tell me what the channel is. Just as through, who or what is the channel? One man, here's your channel, and we know him to be, oh, please don't do that. We know him to be who? Adam. Adam. Through one man that we know is Adam. All right, now, what came through Adam? Say it loud. And death. Okay? And so, death spread to all men. Again, who is the source of death? Adam. Okay? That's how important, that's why these prepositional phrases are so important. Where did sin and death come from? You know, we took up that subject on Wednesday night for a great length of time. Where did sin and death come from? Adam. Okay? Now, he makes this statement right here that I'll tell you right now, if you want to start a fight with a Southern Baptist, that's a good way. What does that mean? Because all sin. And here's the argument. Did we all sin in Adam? Or did we all sin, Tyler? <laughs> or did we all sin practically in ourselves? Yes. <laughs> that, that right there is what the fight's about, right? And so we've got to come to a conclusion about what in the world is he talking about when he says, because all sin. In other words, when Adam sinned, did Joey sin? That's the argument. Am I culpable or guilty because of what Adam has done? And that's a big issue. It's a very big issue, okay? Tyler said yes because he's right. Both. I'm culpable because of what Adam did, but I'm also culpable for, because of what Joey did. And whether you like that or not, don't worry, you're, you're culpable. <laughs> why is, why I, that's what I've always struggled with. Is I really don't care what I did. I know I've seen the day. Right. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? <laughs> right, right. Right. All right. Let's, you can always blame it on Yeah. Anybody but me. <laughs> Anybody but me. Yeah. 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 See, those who believe in this, those who believe in this reject the idea that Adam made you responsible. Those who believe this, and I would say that I think, those who believe in this say, yeah. I know what Adam did. So either your, your will is free or you're bound. One of the like two. you can't say that it was through Adam. Then Romans, you really can't say that it's through Christ. So it's through one man. It was sin. Don't get to my conclusion so quickly. <laughs> Don't ever do stand-up comedy with Cody around. He'll get to the punchline before you do. Okay. So here's an, here's an interesting phrase. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. So we've got this phrase, until the law, which he defines very clearly right here. 
So if I ask you in 513, what does he mean until the law sin was in the world? What he's trying to say is from Adam until Moses. And by the way, from Adam to Moses, we had no law. But was there sin from Adam to Moses? Yes, there's always been sin. And we know why, but we won't go there, will we, Cody? So he makes this statement here, and don't let this throw you off, but sin, uh, that's not a good color, how about that? But sin is not imputed where there is no law. That's just a general statement. You don't base the whole passage on that statement. That's a true statement. But he's not talking about this because he goes, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses. So in other words, did God impute sin before the law was given? What's the answer to that question? Yes. Yeah, why? Because they still sin. And they still died. Right? From Adam until Moses, even before the law was given, men still sinned and were guilty and men still died. And so when he gave the law, well, it didn't increase death because you can't increase that number but it did make sin more realized. And it affirmed the judgment for sin because the law says sin deserves death. Make sense? Everybody with me? For until the law, sin was in the world. But even though we say, I would translate this, sin is not imputed where there is no law. Yeah, but death, what about death? It reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not violated or sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam. So we're talking about this, the offense of Adam, Genesis 3, right? But he goes on to say something super important, and this, this conclusion right here, a type. Adam was a type of him who was to come. Who is that? Christ, yes. So Adam, there was something going on with Adam who was supposed to give us some understanding of Christ. What in the world was going on with Adam that helps us give, gain some understanding of Christ? That's where we're headed, okay? Stop me on any of these. I'm just trying to make progress here. If you got a question. Okay, now we... What, is it, what does it mean had not sinned uh, in the likeness of the offense of Adam? I think he's trying to raise the high-handedness of Adam's sin. In other words, we have this discussion, did Adam know what he's about to do? I think if you looked at the context of this passage, you go, not only did he know it, he willingly violated the clear law of God. It, it, this wasn't natural law. You know, we, talk, we talked about this. Before the law was given, men knew it was wrong to murder, right? And then the law was given, thou shalt not murder which makes you even more culpable for murder because it's written down. That didn't happen in Adam. He didn't have this natural inclination going on. God said, do not eat of that fruit, boy. And willingly, he turned around and ate the fruit. So I think that's what he's pointing to, this high-handedness of Adam. Okay, But nonetheless, Adam's a type. Okay. So now we come to 5.15, but the free gift is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. So we got this prepositional phrase, and it's the same one, and it, it's pointing to the idea of a channel. So let's, let's, let's ask who or what is our channel, and then what came about through the channel, okay? So let's look at these. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died. So who or what is the channel? Very good. Everyone see that? The, how prepositional phrases work. By the transgression of the one, what came? Death. All day long. Okay. Now let's look at the second one. Much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. So who or what came by this? Grace came, or is that your channel? Okay, the gift came. 
<laughs> All right, so here's your channel. And what came? The gift. See how that works? Now, who's this one? So we got one up here. Who's this guy? Who's this guy? Everybody see that? In other words, Jesus did something and it achieved for us the gift. Adam did something and it achieved for us death. See that? Okay. All right, let's go to the next one. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for on the one hand judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation, but on the other hand the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. So we only have one through. And if you'll notice in the text, all these italics, that word's not there, that word's not there, that word's not there, that word's not there. So there's a lot of work that's been done in English to help you make sense of this passage. But we can still ask the questions, who or what is the channel and what came? Okay? So who or what works off of this prepositional phrase? Who's the channel? Very good. Everybody see that? What came? Huh? <laughs> yep, pretty much. But not. It literally says the gift not. But there's a couple of other things that we can go on down and make more sense of it. And what is that? Jeremy got one of them, but follow it on further down. There you go. So, through the one who is, the one who sinned, who is that? What came to us? Okay, we're starting to close Cody's door up pretty tight now. Okay. So through the one, condemnation has come to us. But since there's words missing, what came through Christ? There you go. Very good. Everybody see that? So through Jesus and Jesus alone comes the judge going not guilty. Good? 517. Ek is almost like dia. It's still the idea of source. Okay? The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. This one's even a little more hard, but still. What's the source? Not Adam. Thank you. There you go. His transgression was the resource that led to condemnation. Okay? And of course, you can extrapolate from there. Actually, I don't think that word's in the text either, but from resulting in justification. Okay? Another prepositional phrase. This 516 was full of them. So this is the word, I forget, ace. Yeah, this is the word ace, which literally means results. And so this is what uh, Jeremy and Travis answered. One transgression resulting ace results. In other words, Adam equals what? Condemnation. Let me spell that, but I ran out of room. Jesus equals what? You see that? I mean, there's only... I mean, this is just simple English grammar. This is not hard. All right? Now, 517, he really turns the corner. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So remember, through his dia and its channel, or source, however you want to communicate that. And so we're dealing up here. And who's the channel? 
And who's he talking about? And what came through Adam? See that? Much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the of gift of righteousness will reign in life through who? He answers it for you. And what do we get through Christ? The gift of righteousness. Again, Adam in this case would equal what? And Jesus would equal what? I know you want to say life, and it actually says it, so there you go. So Adam brought upon death, Jesus brings upon life. 5.18, almost done. So as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. Dia through. Deal with this one. Through what? Very good. What was the result? And to whom was it applied? Even so through, through who or what? There resulted what? What in the world, really? Y'all agree with that statement? Yes. <laughs> Do you take this to mean unto, Cody? Towards? Tell me how you take it, because I'm going to run out of room. What is he doing? I mean, are we, are we universalists? Christ died, therefore everybody's going to heaven. You do realize there's a significant population that believes that. Tons. Why in the world would you say that? Because certainly, I mean, I've been making this argument since we started. What Adam did resulted in condemnation to all men, and the church needs to say amen to that. They don't, but they should. So is justification. So hang on to that, and I'll show you what he's doing. We'll be back. I need to speed up. Resulted, I won't deal with that. All right, 519. Through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. You notice he's, he's doing this thing again. I'll show you why in a minute. So who's the channel? Or what's the channel? And what was the result? Wow. So Adam equals, I made everybody a sinner. Jesus, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. See that? Isn't he saying the same thing like 12 different ways? He is. Very good. So we come to the last of it. The law came in so the transgression would increase. There you go. I said that earlier. Remember, sin and death were always there, but when God added the law, it made sin so blatantly obvious. That was the purpose of the law. So transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace is abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so... Grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we got this last one. Here's your source or your channel. And this is what we receive through Jesus Christ. So again, you could say Adam equals death. And we say Jesus equals eternal life. See that? So those are your prepositions that I told you to work through. Now, if you've done that, your theology or what you think about Adam should be set in place. But let me show you a couple other things that I want to make mention of. Um, so let's go back 
to some of these statements that are so difficult. I, I could work on all of them, but let's just work on some. Okay, this is the one where we started, okay? So, see this? And see this? I'm not looking for a theological answer. I'm just looking for a grammar answer. What do you see going on there? said not theological, I said grammar. Thank you. (laughs) Parallel. Exactly the same. Greek and English, it works. He's saying exactly the same thing, and he's changing just a couple of the words. You see that? And by the way, we could have worked through all of these. Um, Here you go. Here's one of them. Same thing. I changed a word. That's all I did. See that? And again... Do what? Oh, you, you, the wheel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I see you. Um, that, one's, that one's even more difficult. Um, for if by the transgression of death reign through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and gift will reign through. That's not one. The gift from one transgression. Do y'all see it in here? Oh yeah, here we go. It's exactly the same, Greek or English. It does not matter. Okay, so you see one of the tools that he's using. Why is he using it? That's my question. Why in the world is he doing that? To show Adam that's a type of Christ. To show Adam that's a type of Christ. So what can be said of Christ can be said of Adam. Otherwise, there's no need in making these parallel statements. You know, the one that Cody got got us on here. Um, where was? Which one? That one. Eighteen. Yeah, this, I can't erase that because I'm stuck in here. But see, we see this, and a lot of men freak out. But that's not the point of the passage. That's simple parallelism to say to you, look at Jesus, look at Adam. The, the differences come in these two words. Because he's trying to say through you know one act of righteousness, through one transgression... There resulted condemnation. There resulted justification. To all men, to all men. He's making this parallelism between these two guys, but you need to understand that both these two guys mean a great deal to us. That's why he's using these. Not so you can digest the fact that to all men, to all men, therefore Jesus, everyone's justified. He's wanting you to say, I got two men before you in order for you to understand what has taken place? Okay? Now let's go back and let me show you one other thing. Let me see if this will erase it. Ha, that did it. I want you to notice something else I noticed in here. Cody, correct me. Um, this is ace with the breathing mark that's pronounced hace. All right. So I. Did a little work with this word in Romans. And from 512 to 521, I would show you the graph. He goes absolutely nuts. Okay? So watch this. 512, through one man centered into the world. 515, for if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound in many. Gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, judgment arose from one transgression. For by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one. 
Much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. Why would he do that? Keeps laying out this one, 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 one. What conclusion can you draw from that? Thank you. There's nowhere else to stand. There's nowhere else to be. That's it. And that's why he's made all these parallel statements. That's why he's used one, 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 because there's nothing but one. And you either stand right here or you stand right here. There is no other alternative place to stand, you see. So when you get all the way back to here, That's about my last question. Not all the way back to there. But when you get all the way back to here, and I'll, again, I'll tell you why this is a huge thought, and then we'll finish your outline, and then we'll pray. What do you think? Did you sin in Adam? Travis is saying yes. Well, yeah, if you want to look at Scripture. Because if you didn't sin in Adam, I can have justification in Christ. I ain't there yet. Cody, stop. <laughs> no, no, no. Let's, let me, before we get to where Cody is, if you didn't say if you didn't sin in Adam, then there's a third option on the table. There's another one, and it's not Adam or Jesus. It's you, and it's me, and all of a sudden, one has become billions because God looks at each single solitary one of us to see if we're going to, what, stand in ourselves? It's theologically impossible at this point, okay? There's no biblical salvation for you in either. No. Because you're either in Adam or in Christ, and those who are in Adam have the opportunity of faith to bring them into relationship with Christ. Now, here's an, an, two more reasons why this is a big deal. Oh, how I love being represented by Jesus in righteousness, where Cody was going. Because I know I can't, I know I can't trust in myself. I can't offer him good works in which he's going to accept. So I need somebody to stand in the gap for me. And I'm perfectly willing to say, hey, Jesus, would you slide to the front right now and represent me? Because, you know, I'm in the judgment, standing face to face with God, and I'm really super uncomfortable. He's holy. I'm not. So please, we are all for that. But for some reason, and I know the reasons why, no one wants Adam to represent them. But you understand there was only one on the table to represent you before Jesus, and that was Adam. So in other words, when you say, why in the world, we'll get to Romans chapter 6, why in the world do I want to do right, but I can't? Well, that's answered for you, because you're in Adam. Why do I have these horrible thoughts? Why do I actually think those things? Because you're in Adam. You understand? The reason that we are the way that we are is because we're in Adam. And when we're sin, like Jeremy was saying a couple of weeks ago, when we sin, that doesn't make us sinners. We are sinners, therefore we sin. And the one who made us sinners was Adam. And you will sin. And you will be culpable for that sin. But you don't understand, you're born in Adam and you're redeemed by Jesus Christ. So one of those guys is going to represent you in the judgment. 
It's either Adam or Christ. Now, the reason this is a big deal, and I put it on your worksheet, uh, it's the very last page. Uh, oh no, page three of four. And if you'll notice Adam's effect at the top of the page. And this is where many folks stand, many Southern Baptists stand, Pentecostals, I guess the list would be almost endless. Adam only made me inclined to sin, but I wasn't guilty in Adam's sin. It wasn't until I sinned. Okay, all those that buy into that also buy into the idea of free will which automatically equals decisional regeneration because God's up there chewing on his nails, waiting on you to choose Jesus. He's just anxious and wringing his hands, just hoping that you choose Jesus. Okay? What I just showed you in the text is we're guilty in Adam. We're condemned, like the text says. We're under the bondage of the will. We don't have free will. And what we're in desperate need of is grace and spiritual regeneration. I need God to do something to save me because I can't. It's not that the offer is on the table. It's if it were, I wouldn't pick it up, you see. I need God to do something, not joy to do something. And when I'm preaching the gospel, I pray that God would do something, not that Rob the lost guy would do something. Because I know if, if God leaves Rob alone, God, Rob's going to walk right out of that sermon and never turn from his sin and put his faith in Christ. So I'm begging God to do something in Rob's heart. And so Rob will see his lostness and God will give him that new heart and he'll reach out in faith and take hold of what God has done. That's so important because we're about to walk in salvation, the last thing. And unless you understand sin and the hopeless situation that you're in, you can't celebrate the grace that you've been given in Christ. And as I've said in services before, you know, if you were saved by your own decision, you're going to attend church and serve the Lord based on your own decision. So I'm going to spend all my time from the pulpit trying to motivate you and encourage you to serve the Lord. But if you were born again, you were spiritually regenerated, the Spirit of God is going to work in you to remind you that you need to be a part of the body gathering every week to worship. And the Spirit of God is going to put it within your heart. You know, just forget about me. I just need to be serving the needs of those around me for Christ Himself has met my greatest need. And all of a sudden, I'm not the one that's trying to talk you into something. And we're not moving from program to program to program at this church trying to get things done. Because we're preaching the gospel and we're making disciples and we're praying that the Spirit of God would do things among us. It's a very different way of thinking. Okay, One of it is man-centered, and that might be a little bit cruel, but really, I think it is. And the other way is, is really God-centered. We're faithful to do what we've been told to do. We're evangelists and disciples-makers, and we trust the Lord for the results. That way I'm not actually... I think Rob said after I preached an hour and four minutes to go meet the new people Sunday because I'd probably never see them again. <laughs> but we're not, we, don't, we don't rely on personalities to grow the, the church. We rely upon the Spirit of God to grow the church and we just be faithful in tasks that we've been given. This is a different mindset altogether. I don't have to rely upon smoke on the stage when Jeremy and Barbara are, are doing the music. And I don't have to rely upon all the bells and the whistles for some show to attract a crowd. I don't even want that crowd. Because as soon as the church down the road buys bigger bells and whistles and better smoke, they're going to leave. We could just be faithful to do because it's based on the sovereignty of God and the grace of God. All right, I'm talking too much. Questions? Oh, yeah. 5 through 520. What's that about? <laughs> stay here it's, it's difficult 
In fact, y'all might argue with me and see a better flow, but what's the flow here? You summed up 512, 520 in this context. Redemption or propitiation? Oh, you're getting close. I'll give you I'll give you this. I gotta swing it up to write. I gotta write start writing in cursive. I think you can actually read it when I do. Propitiation. Second word. or blood. What's the second word? What do you think? Come on, Nicole. Bail me out here. Come on, I really want somebody to say it. You want me to give us some more? <laughs> nope, nope. I'm going with transaction and transfusion. <laughs> oh, you're really close. You're all well on your way. That's really good. You need to title that one of your sermons. Transaction and transfusion. Justification. No. Propitiation and justification? That doesn't even roll off the tongue, man. <laughs> nope. Well, it's got peas in it. Am I going to play hangman? <laughs> Yeah, so you make all these grand statements, but how has it come to me? How has grace come to me? Because the work of Christ is applied to me. The death of Christ has become my death. The life of Christ has become my life. You say all these great things, but how are these things come to me? By your decision? Okay, if you want to start there, we can, and we can build upon that, but you need to understand His death is your death. The blood He shed was on your behalf. And so these great workings of God have been applied to you through Christ and you've been saved through Christ's work alone. Because the work that your former father did brought condemnation on you. All right. Transaction, transfusion, if you want to say that. <laughs> 